Welcome, welcome. Episode 57 here of the Phoenix Suns podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun. Um, first and foremost, thanks for listening. Uh, 57 episodes of me and uh, the combination of the other uh, guys here on Bright Side of the Sun. Probably tough pill to swallow, but it's one of the few Suns podcasts you get to listen to, so you got to deal with us, and hopefully we're giving you something okay to listen to. If you like, make sure you tell your other Suns friends, fans, uh, and jump on TuneIn, subscribe, you know, show them the website, make sure they know about the podcast, and as soon as iTunes likes us, I promise, I swear, once they like us, then we'll be able to uh, listen to this on iTunes as well. But until then, definitely check out TuneIn, and uh, the latest podcasts are always going to be up there within hours of us recording them, but... Today we're going to take it twofold. We're going to talk a lot of WNBA, we're going to talk a lot of NBA draft, and to get things started, we're going to have a very familiar friend of the podcast, Nate Parham of Swish Appeal, as well as Golden State of Mind, jump on to talk WNBA, Phoenix Mercury, and uh, this pretty amazing start to the Phoenix Mercury season. So first and foremost, Nate, thanks for jumping on. We're recording this late here uh, tonight on Wednesday to go up on Thursday and talk a little bit of Phoenix Mercury and WNBA basketball. How are you doing tonight, Nate? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's kind of start it off right here with tonight, or technically yesterday for folks listening. The Phoenix Mercury, I, I don't know how to explain it, but 0-5 last year against the uh, eventual Western Conference champion Minnesota Lynx, the dominant Lynx, and then lose to them in the Western Conference Finals in a pretty quick series as well. Now 2-0 and against them, um, and actually doing a pretty good job in both those games winning by substantial margins. How do you explain that based on these two games so far? Uh, for me, it would be two words. Uh, Brittany Griner. I think she's just uh, she's playing so much better this year than she was last year. Um, and against a team like the Lynx, that's just a little bit smaller in the front court to begin with. I mean, she's just giving them a ton of problems. I mean, tonight she had the uh, career high, uh, 27 points, 18 rebounds, and she's just, even when she's not blocking a whole lot of shots like tonight, she's just such a dominant force in the paint that it's really hard to, um, it's really hard to, to do any, to, to, to run your normal offense. I think, I think the Lynx, obviously, I mean, they have, they have Maya Moore, who's going to be an MVP candidate, and Lindsey Wayland both had great games, but the rest of the team was shut down pretty well, and a lot of that is that, you know, Brittany Griner makes everything easier as a defense, so. You know, I, I think she's a big difference, and Tarazi's obviously having a great season as well. Tarazi's Tarazi, but um, shot the lights out the other night as well. So uh, when you have those two, you have a dominant perimeter threat like that, and then Griner inside. I think the Mercury are just a much better team this year because of Griner's improvement. Yeah, and I mean, in the, the two games against Minnesota, she has 14-7 and seven in the first game, which is kind of a slow, grinded-out, kind of an ugly game there on ESPN on Father's Day and the Mercury pulled it out with Diana Tarazi's double-double and kind of balance on the offense there. Not ever, No one really dominated, but everyone contributed. And then tonight with huge game from Brittany, really good game from Diana. And, I mean, when you, when you think about it, they held Maya Moore, if you want to call it that, held Maya Moore to, to 50 points combined in the two games, 14 in the first game, and, uh, and then her game tonight where she went off a little bit and they still lost, but... What they're doing against Maya Moore, and more specifically what Dewana Bonner is kind of doing, I wrote about this last week, how she basically went from two years ago being the only offensive piece to this Mercury roster with all the injuries and scoring 20 a night and was robbed, probably robbed, of the Most Improved Player Award 
to now being uh, asked to just go play defense and score when there's opportunities. What have you seen from from Dewana's game from like a national perspective, just watching her go from 20 a night to guarding the best player every single night? Well, you know, I, I think one, one key thing is that, you know, some of her shot selection last year, more so than the, the, the 2012 season when, you know, it was just kind of a lost season. But last year, I think some of her shot selection was actually that she had some, she took some poor shots last year and sometimes it just got this this zone where she was just jacking up almost anything. I, I think actually having her at a lower usage rate um, and picking her spot, slashing the bucket more and calming down the threes a little bit actually helps the offense quite a bit. And they're redistributing that nicely. Um, you know, obviously you have Griner now who's, who's a much more sort of offensive player. Um, but I, I think, I think, you know, Bonner tapering it back a little bit offensively is helping quite a bit. And then defensively, you know, she's kind of, she can be hit or miss defensively. There's sometimes where it seems like her focus wavers. And, uh, especially the last two seasons where her focus would waver and she was just make huge mistakes. And I think this year, um, having her focus on being that defensive player that she looked like she, she was going to become in her first few seasons is, you're right, it's, it's pretty big. And, um, even if she's not, even if she's not putting up big numbers necessarily or, or wowing anybody this year, I, I think having her in more of a role player role rather than being an uh, option one or two is, is huge for the team. Yeah, and then you can continue you know, going down the roster there with Candace Dupree and Penny Taylor both being asked to do much less as well. And at the end of the day, when you have someone like Candace Dupree and Dewana Bonner and Penny Taylor as your, what, third, fourth, fifth options, or, you know, sometimes fourth, fifth, and sixth options on your roster there. I mean, I don't think that there's many WNBA teams that wouldn't welcome those guys in as, you know, second options, or even in some cases, first options. So an embarrassment of riches in terms of role players on this Mercury team. Absolutely. And and, uh, you mentioned Penny Taylor. I think, you know, when you think about what's going well for them this year, just having her, you know, however healthy she is, whether she's at full health or not quite there, having her back in the starting lineup, She's automatically more productive than, you know, the starters they had in that fifth starting spot last year. Uh, and I think that's just a big change. I mean, obviously, there's a feeling among some fans that you want to have Tarazi as, a, as an off guard instead of a point guard or, or you know, off the ball a little bit more than she is this year with, with Penny Taylor in the starting lineup. But I, I think, you know, with a player like Tarazi, you put the ball in her hands and let her, let her create, and she can do that. And uh, Phillips, is obviously, Phillips, obviously, coming off the bench, is working fine. Still starting, I thought was working okay before they had a little lapse. But I think I think having Taylor there, being that productive fifth starter, is also a big improvement for the team in addition to Griner. Yeah, and that's kind of the point that um, new coach Sandy Brondello had mentioned as well was just when you put the ball in Diana's hands, whether she's a pure point guard or not, whether she's that hit or miss turnover score, you know, fancy pass. It, she's just she's gonna do things. She draws so much attention that you can't not put the ball in her hands, and that's basketball nowadays. You put the ball in your best athlete's hands, and you let them go out there and do things because it's gonna be bad sometimes, but it's gonna be good most of the time, and that's kind of what Diana's doing. And I mean, talking about good most of the time, let's let's shift this over a little bit more to a, a national Western Conference kind of a, a perspective. When you look at the West, and you used to be able to go, man, it's a gauntlet. You have Minnesota, you have Phoenix, you have LA, you have Seattle, and in some cases San Antonio has been pretty, you know, flashes that they want to be a contender, and now you have Tulsa that's won four in a row, so all of a sudden you have this Western Conference that 
is a hodgepodge conglomerate of near 500 teams or teams that have shown flashes of being a conference champion. How how deep is this West? Like, how many legitimate teams do you feel are out there right now at this point? Well, I, I think yeah, I think uh, Seattle is Seattle's a really interesting team only because I think they're they're way out playing their numbers. You know, they're playing above their head. And I think it's just because they're uh, Brian Agler is a good coach. And I, I think he has them. Those are veterans that know their system, and they're just going to grind it out, and they can win. They can compete with almost anyone they hang around long enough to make the push when they need to defensively to clamp people down in the fourth quarter and to win games. Um, but Seattle probably is the team where, you know, if you're thinking about they're just a dangerous team who I think can kind of sneak up on you if, you, if, you're not, if you have an off night. That, you know, Tulsa, Tulsa is Tulsa's coming up. I think we have to see, you know, they won those four games at home. So I, I think we do have to see whether or not they can sustain that over the course of a normal kind of schedule against, uh, you know, against teams on the road. But you know, Tulsa with Skyler Diggins, obviously Sims, that's just a dangerous backcourt that a lot of that most teams simply can't guard, and they're just picking rolling people to death. Um, San Antonio is just they're they're a well-rounded team in that they have a lot of guards who can score on you, uh, and, and they have some they have a good mix of veterans and youth. Uh, so they're another team that you, we just can't count out. And I think that's the big difference between this and the last, say, two years, where there were teams at the bottom of the West that were just automatic wins, and those automatic wins probably aren't there right now. I still do think that Phoenix is, you know, a step above those teams at the bottom, and and I'd probably put Minnesota at full health. Also, obviously, they didn't have Augustus tonight, but I'd probably put Minnesota at full health, still a level above everybody else. And L.A., uh, <laughs> LA is a disaster right now. I, I don't, I'm not sure what it is, what they have to do to figure it out. I mean, they have some, they have some rust, some just fundamental structural problems, and that they have a lot of players who do the same thing, uh, and then they have a lot of players who are poor defenders, and the combination is not working well for them. So, uh, but that's obviously still a talented team, and you can't, you can't step on the court with LA and expect to do what Minnesota did to them last night. It's just not going to happen. So, uh, you know, I think. The West is definitely one of those. It's definitely gotten to the point now where I, you can't count anybody out. Um, but is there still a hierarchy that's pretty clear? I'd say so. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the feeling I was getting as well. And Tulsa will get their first test, I guess, based on your theory on Friday against Phoenix. Ironically, because they're coming mm-hmm. into town on Friday. Um, yeah, that that Tulsa team. They they were here before, and they really tested the Mercury until the Mercury kind of put their foot down, and it was kind of a statement win for the Mercury at that time to go, we're not going to let teams hang out with us all the way into the end and then you know make it a, a game-time decision there at the final two minutes. So they actually stepped down and beat them pretty handedly. But that's a team where when you look at them, and, and I've noticed this with most WNBA teams over the course of the handful of years that I've been covering the, the Phoenix Mercury in the league, is that it's it's a team that they've gotten a few picks at the top, and they've kind of got their perimeter set. They're a real dangerous perimeter team. But they don't quite have that big, you know, that big in the paint. They don't have the the balance like some other teams do. And so once once they finally strike that balance, I think that it'll be a team that'll actually be really good, just like how Minnesota eventually became, and you know, Phoenix eventually became, and L.A. You can't you can't be a good team in the WNBA without about four or five top three picks on your roster. It feels right. Yeah, well, I think that and, you know, a team that uh, it, it's you know the the diff- I think the big difference between the WNBA and NBA still is. You know, it is a, it's basketball, so it is a stars league. You need superstars, but you still need a team that works well, that works together cohesively. And the, the idea of having a single star who's going to carry you, although Angel McCautry did carry the, the dream to the finals, 
you know, generally you have to have a good team concept. I think I think Minnesota's that's what they've had. I think Phoenix has that now. I think Tulsa is probably still relying on their top their top guards. So, you know, Sims and, and Diggins played you mentioned the post. I mean, Glory Johnson was still an all star last year and she's getting better this season and Courtney Paris is having a career season, uh, just dominating the boards right now. So that's the, the 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 rebounding is really helping them out. You know, you have a you have dominant guards and you have a dominant rebounding presence. That that's going to get you some wins. So I think they could they could certainly make a push. You know, the sparks falling, <laughs> the sparks looking like a disaster right now. You know, it's it's not impossible to imagine Tulsa making a push, making the playoffs. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely, and it's 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 all about striking that balance. And the Mercury finally found it with having Griner and. Again, I mean, you have you know someone like Dupree and Bonner and Taylor and then Tarazi. Uh, you know, all those guys are surrounding Tarazi and Griner now, who are kind of becoming the the one-two punch centerpiece of the franchise. Y- you got a pretty good team there, and then Aaron Phillips, and you start plugging in the glue players. So to, to talk about glue players real quick, when you look at this Mercury team versus last year's Mercury team, basically the same thing except for you have a healthier Penny Taylor. And then the the role players are a little bit different. You have Misty Bass, who comes in there like a Mark Madsen, Lou Almondson type player that just is full of energy and just goes out there and rebounds, defends, and uses their fouls. And Aaron Phillips, who can knock down the threes, and a few other players like that. What what is the difference you've seen with the role players on the Mercury this year versus last year? That are maybe the difference in them actually being able to contribute. Uh, you know, I, I think one of their problems last year was was definitely trying to find a ball handler. You know, and they they had Prehalis, and they had uh, Jasmine James, and they had a bunch of players there for a while, trying to kind of trying to pick up and trying to pick up that slack. So, you know, I, I think having Phillips, a veteran presence, able to handle the ball, having Taylor back, able to handle the ball, and even um, you know, I, I like uh, Annette Yakasoni Yakasoni Sagoda as well um, on their wing, being able to shoot. So you have those ball handlers and shooters um, around the grinder, around and next to Tarazi. And it just makes it, it just, it makes that team extremely difficult to guard. And, you know, when you put the ball into Rossi's hands and she can run the pick and roll with Dupree the way they do so effectively, it's just, that, that offense is so, there's so many options there that you, you can even, even tonight watching this game, you know, Minnesota made a run there. And it's just like, you know, Phoenix is just a team that's going to continue to overwhelm teams with the number of options they have over the course of a 40 minute game. So, you know, I think those, just having those ball handlers and those shooters, is the the big difference when you compare what they had last year with James and Gilbreth um, trying to to fill out the, those wings. Yeah, and it was tough because you know someone like Brianna Gilbreth, which was probably the biggest shock to me in terms of who didn't make the roster. Yeah. Of someone that you know, young, developing potential, good defense, decent spot up shooter, and yeah. just she fit the mold of a role player. But you're right. I mean, it wasn't the mold of what they needed, which was extremely good knockdown shooter and someone that can handle the ball a little bit yeah it's kind of funny how you mentioned Zagoda there she's someone that you know first couple of times I watched her play I was you know taken away with how good she can be handling the ball passing shooting she's she's an interesting prospect then you look at it and she's basketball wise she's Diana Tarazi she's been around for a long time just not necessarily in the WNBA Um, so she's not not a young prospect but she's already she's already overwhelmed the PA announcer out here in uh in Phoenix and after her second made basket she was known by her initials she she doesn't have a name anymore she, he, he just completely gave up on trying to say her name it was yes, just it was just initials <laughs> um, 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So so quick overview on the West. You think that the hierarchy is still full strength Minnesota and then Phoenix um, with those two teams right now, 1A and 1B, or do you think it's a clear 1 and 2? Well, I mean, I, I think right now we have to say that Phoenix is a clear 1, I, I, only because they're not healthy. I mean, and I think Minnesota, uh, it's just hard to know what's going to happen once they get everybody back. Uh, so, you know, let's not discount Phoenix. What Phoenix has done is also put Phoenix 1A and Minnesota 1B. Now, flashing over to the East, it's it Atlanta, Chicago, Indiana over the past few years have been the teams that we're really able to talk about and, and then a lot of bad teams down there at the bottom. This year, right now, you have Atlanta kind of as the only team playing really good basketball, I guess you can say. They're up there at the top of the standings. What's going on out East and, and kind of the same thing? Like, what's your hierarchy out there and, and how are things going out East for whoever's going to be competing with, like, the Phoenix or the Minnesota? Yeah, the East, the East is kind of tough because you, you have some some injuries there. Um, you know, Chicago's been playing without fouls, um, fouls and Prince for for most of the season, and Breland and Deladon have, uh, have missed a few games as well. So Chicago's kind of a team who I just again I just don't think know what we'll see at full strength. Indiana's been without catchings, um, and then Atlanta's kind of been storming everything right now. Uh, but I I still say you know. When you look at the team, I had Atlanta winning that conference to begin with. Uh, and I think when you look at what Shoney Schimmel's done a great job for them, uh, they, you know, they, they made some trades to, to move some players. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, they got Matija Ajabon in the offseason. They picked up swing cash. But, you know, I think the big difference right now is Shoney Schimmel, Jasmine Thomas playing better. And when you have those two guards able to play with that team uh, that already had some rebounding in, in D'Souza and Little, uh, that's just a team that's going to be tough for other teams to beat. Uh, but at the bottom of the East, uh, the bottom is just kind of, you know, New York is, is the the Eastern Conference version of L.A. at this point, which is that they're just playing without energy, and um, they're a little bit older, but they, yeah, they're not so old that they shouldn't be winning more games than they are. Uh, and then you have Washington, which is a which is a well-coached team that plays well together, uh, very balanced, but they just don't have the superstar all-star player who's going to lift them to wins every night. And the Connecticut's just an extremely young team. So I, I think there, you know, you have the they have the top of the East where you have Atlanta, possibly Chicago once they're in full health, and then you could say possibly Indiana if it's catching, whenever catching comes back. I think there's just a lot more uncertainty there. Um, and you look at the way things turned out last year with Chicago winning it and then being out in the first round. So it's... Uh, when, you, when you have the players there that you have and you have the health issues, it's just it's hard to, what, to know what to make of them. Yeah, yeah, and the WNBA has been all about their the stars being injured or you know the, at least the the headliner players being injured in recent years. So you yeah. know, hopefully we can we keep mentioning full strength. So hopefully we can have full strength right. when we get into the playoffs and be able to uh, at least get a first round like the NBA gave us. Uh, maybe not necessarily a finals right. like the NBA <laughs> gave us, but uh, right. hey, at, at least one team played perfect, amazing, great basketball. Wow, when we talk about that. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, as much as like everyone out here in Phoenix is uh, is you know they hate the Spurs because of personal things that have happened out here with the Suns and them. I'm just right. a, I'm just a proponent of great basketball, and I can tip my hat to the San Antonio Spurs. That was just amazing. Yeah. I mean, all basketball. you can do is be in awe of that. I mean, it's it's funny. Like now, everybody wants to be the next Spurs. Like Warriors fans are talking about you know their draft picks or trades. Like it's <laughs> thinking about how you can become the Spurs. See how Steve Kerr can make them the Spurs. It's uh, you know, you want to be part of something like that. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you how you become the Spurs. You 
win the lottery where there's a Tim Duncan-esque <laughs> player that's going to be there for 17 years, and then exactly. you, you nail every second-round pick after that. So, exactly. Easy formula. <laughs> very easy formula, right? Um all right, so before before I let you go here, let's talk real quick about the All Star Game, which is um, as this post is as this posts today on the nineteenth. We're one month away, exactly away from the WNBA All Star Game that'll be out here in Phoenix, actually. And where are you at in terms of like how the WNBA so far? We've talked about this before as a main point of emphasis for the WNBA, which is marketing. Where are you at with how they've been marketing this and how they've been trying to get everyone engaged with social media and the voting? Where is your excitement level with the WNBA All-Star Game based on the marketing that me and you have talked about before? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I think that... So I, I think, you know, the All-Star Game, you have to get the most... You have to get the players on the floor that people want to see. And I think the thing I think that's... The trouble with the WNBA is it typically, and I think again this year is that you have this weird tension between sometimes between I think wanting to have the players that the most, you know, dynamic athletes out there and then also wanting to honor the players who are having the best seasons. And I think right now that's gonna be a bit of a tension this year because, you know, you have players like uh <laughs> the last two MVPs, for example, who are playing on teams that are just playing terrible basketball right now. I mean it's not really much other way to say it. Um it's like you have to have those people in the game. So, you know, I, I think so. You put those teams, you put those players in the games because they have to be there. And then if someone says, "Hey, I want to see Candace Parker's team play," and they're losing on their home floor with no energy, it's kind of like it doesn't really carry over to to actual ticket sales later or more viewers on and during TV games. So, I think you there's that tension. But I think ultimately the social media the social media thing is working. Uh, it seems, you know, people are getting really excited about that. I think for me, I, I just want to see the best. <laughs> I want to see the players, you know, just as a, as a basketball geek, I want to see the players who are having great seasons get there. So, you know, I think Candace Dupree was probably, is probably a given, given that it's in Phoenix and uh, Phoenix fans are going to be voting for her. But, uh, you know, someone like that is, is the kind of player who sometimes gets overlooked because uh, she's having a, a great, because she's, she's playing with two other stars even though she's having a solid season, but not necessarily, you know, Dupree doesn't do anything terribly uh, sexy. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's just a solid, solid game every year, in each possession. So I always kind of get wary of all-star games. I just hope that, uh, I think the social media thing is working, and I think, uh, I, I hope that we can get all the players that deserve to be there that are, that are on the teams that are playing good basketball in the league. I think that's just a weird attention. Yeah, and it, it, the WNBA is hoping that it's some combination of having like Tarazi and Maya Moore with Candace Parker, Brittany Griner, and then you know fill in the rest of the Western Conference roster. I mean, they they definitely want to have the top stars there, and, and I'm I'm the same way. Like with NBA All Star games, I stopped watching the Saturday nights a handful of years ago, and stopped watching the games a few years before that because it just I mean at the end of the day they ended up not being worthwhile because it wasn't right. necessarily the players having the best seasons, and it was a lot of you know, as a basketball purist, you want to see guys that are having amazing seasons. Like if some guy's on a 500 team and he's putting a double double out there and he normally doesn't do that, then he's an all star over someone who you know has more of a name and a cachet on a winning team. It's you know, it's it's a unique thing. But with the WNBA, it's it's kind of a six and one and a half dozen in the other. You you want to have the best players, but you also want to have the names that might drive in more seats and more views. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, and I, yeah it's, it's it's tough. I I think you know, I I think. Uh, Having putting those players on display, I think you know putting. I hope I hope Deladon can play this year. 
uh, you know, she's she's obviously having this struggle with Lyme disease. Who knows how long it's going to take? Uh, but you know, you you want to you want to have those players on the floor playing together so people can see it. I think once people do see the, that collection of players, the Parkers, the Tarazis, the Maya Moores, Belladons, I mean those. Those players, I think, just kind of embody how far the league has come, even in the last five, six years. I mean, it's it's not what people imagine women's basketball to be once I think they, once they sit down and watch it. And I think uh, the All Star Game is probably the easiest way to showcase that. Exactly, and and an All Star Game on ESPN, and and actually having yep. an All Star Game, so right, that that right. definitely helps out a lot for sure. So, um, yep. Nate, I'll let you get out of here, so that way we're not running uh, running too long here. How can folks sure. uh, read your stuff and and be able to get a hold of you? Sure. Um, you can find the, our WNBA coverage at SB Nation on uh, swishappeal.com, uh, and you can get me on Twitter at Nate P underscore SBN. Uh, and, yeah, so either way. All right, man. Well, I definitely appreciate the insight and the talk, and we'll, we'll probably talk either before or around the All-Star game for sure to kind of get revved up for that as well. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. All right. Again, thanks to Nate Parham of Swish Appeal for jumping on and talking some WNBA. Um, And thanks for you guys for listening. We're going to go ahead and put a pin in this one and call it part one of episode 57. And then we'll come back tomorrow with uh, a little bit more coverage there, talking NBA draft, talking uh, Phoenix Suns options there, what's going on, latest rumors, latest mock drafts, uh, pros and cons of moving up and down in the draft. So look forward to that one as early as tomorrow afternoon, evening. And uh, we definitely look forward to uh, to talking about the NBA draft. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. Again, share, tell a friend. It's on TuneIn as well as on the website in and of itself. So check it out, share, tell a friend. And we'll be back uh, for the second part of this week's uh, NBA draft podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun. Every time.